Welcome to Music Ed Talk. Today, I'm joined by Destiny Cooper. Destiny, can you tell listeners a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Okay, so I teach middle school. I teach general music and choir. So I have the changing voices and the middle school awkwardness. Yay. But what I'm not doing that, um, because I do love doing that. I'm also a conductor at Boston Children's Course, um, which is a social justice organization that centers itself around music. So I would say music education with social justice lens um, and racial equity inclusion lens. So anything that is like on par with diversity, equity, inclusion, that is what we do. Um, It's all about bringing people together through these issues that might be difficult to talk about or actually really easy to talk about. We just don't know how to frame it in ways that are developmentally appropriate um, at the time. So when they come to us, we get to open up and have these conversations throughout the year. Uh, This season, uh, we're having a season based off of Now's the Time. Now's the Time is based off of where our world is headed. And by where our world is headed, not politically and socially, but environmentally. So we're getting kids to talk about what is happening in our environment in Boston. What, who, well not what, but who is responsible for some of these changes? Is it big business? Is it little business? What are things that actually tangible, right? What are the things that we can actually do to change our environment? Um, And that's what now's the time is currently discussing. So I look forward to doing that when our season starts. Can you tell the listeners a little bit more about your middle school teaching experience. Sure. So still toddling around, this is my fourth year of teaching. This position that I currently have, I started during the pandemic. So that was a ride trying to get to know all of the teachers, my admin, my new students through a screen because we were remote for most of the year. The program, like every program, took a really big hit because of COVID, which I think worked to my advantage. Uh, It even was hurting a little bit before, to be honest. So the program was really small. My sister middle school had like maybe 400 kids in the program versus mine had about under 200. So they hired me to be like, fix this. But I was like, okay, we can fix this pandemic mode. I'm not sure. It's just, so I really thought about what was important as someone new stepping in a position. Did I want to go in head on and say, let's do concerts, because that wasn't happening. So I decided to go in thinking with a community lens. And the kids that I teach, while some of them look like me, majority of them don't, I teach at a predominantly Asian and Southeast Asian school. And while there are, you know, other BIPOC that cover outside of that diaspora as well, and also uh, students who are not of color, I'm in a position where I might be the first black teacher they've ever had. It was a lot to open there and and just kind of like, how can I step in and make this a community thing? And not like, oh, look, you know, because I had a couple of those. Oh, look, you're the black teacher. But uh, community was my focus for this year, especially being remote and new. It's just like, what else is there to focus on? And what, what is more important? What were some obstacles you faced in building this community in your new role? Oh my gosh. 
we like to call these, or at least maybe I dubbed them. I know some other teachers might have dubbed them there too, uh, the blackouts. So I would log on and I would have a class at 10 a.m. in the morning and either I get the screens where I'm seeing their ceilings, not their faces, or a complete blackout where I didn't have any faces at all. I just had their names. That was a big obstacle for me because I'm used to seeing facial reactions. I think we all are. And just seeing like, do they like my jokes? Even though they're really bad. Um, do they understand what we're talking about? Are they connecting to the material? I can't tell when I only see a black box. That was a big obstacle for me, especially being new and teaching literally within my house. So even to talk to my new colleagues was difficult. It felt like I was in a box to myself. Can you describe more of this community lens you had discussed prior? Sure. I think it's important to build community because at the end of the day, I'm thinking about my own middle school experience. And while I only remember a handful of songs, I don't remember anything about rehearsal. I don't, uh, if I'm being honest. I mean, granted, this is over 10 years ago at this point, so maybe I shouldn't remember those things. But I don't remember rehearsal. I don't remember my choral director being an extreme technician and being like, oh my gosh, the way she conducted that 6-8 is Ah, bellissima, did not. I remembered more how I felt in that class and how I would come around that corner. It was like a hallway to itself. And I would go to my music class feeling like, ooh, I'm about to go to choir day. It's gonna be so much fun. Even though I had no idea what I was doing or talking about. So I think that's why community is important, that feeling. If students that have me walk away with anything, I want them to walk away with how they felt in the class if they felt like they belong there, if they felt like they had fun there, they felt like they grew there, whether that's musically, emotionally, maybe it's physically because these kids in middle school do grow. It's like one day they're three feet tall and then the next day they're like above you at six. I'm like, okay, <laughs> grow down. Um, <laughs> but having that sense of community, I think is important when they, I mean, it's great when they like the music, but when they come up to me and they're like, Miss Cooper, this is one of my favorite classes because I feel like I can be myself. I feel like I win. But building community starts with, just to go back to the second part of your question, I think building community starts with showing your most authentic self and the most authentic self that also makes mistakes. A lot of the time, I see a lot of choral conductors out here that are very, like to the niche, very perfect, uh, very well rehearsed. And not saying I'm not, because I do come in prepared with my plans. I don't come in crazy, at least not all the time. <laughs> but I, I just feel like if you make a mistake on the stand or on the podium, they should see that and they should see you laugh it off or maybe go like, oh, darn it. Or um, they should see you as your most authentic self. Because then it looks like being a musician is not something that's away from them, but something that they, that's within their reach. Building that community comes with being your most authentic self because middle schoolers especially are really good like sniffers of sincerity. So if you're not sincere, they're going to call you out. They're like, this is, you're fake. Two, figuring out how to build that community that is exclusive of you. You don't want to be so a part of the community that say you moved on from this position that the whole program would fall apart. You should be developing your students to be like, all right, like 
no matter what, if this lady's here or not, this is our choir. So having them feel that accountability for like, this is our program. This is the music that we make. And it just happens that Miss Cooper is there to facilitate and be a part of it. Have them take stake in their own musicianship and their own community. At the beginning of the year, I have my students write expectations for themselves. So we go through and I'm like, what are expectations? And they're like, what the teacher asked you to do. I'm like, well, this is not what I'm asking you to do. These are expectations that you have of each other. So what are expectations that you have of each other? It's like, all right, to come in on time, to be nice to each other. And then you get the whole like shallow stuff from them when they're like, oh, you know, sit down, be respectful. But I'm like, no, really, what are your real expectations? And then the deeper we get into this conversation, students will say, I don't want you to laugh when I'm singing. Laugh with me, not at me. Or an expectation is of me, right? If they need help. So, you know, sometimes a kid might raise their hand and like, I need some help. And you're like, we just did this on Thursday, Michael. Like they're like, sometimes we just, that doesn't help. And I'm like, yeah, that totally doesn't help. Okay, cool. Expectations. Check. I'll do it. I'll, I'll bite my tongue. But that gives them some hold in the community that they're in and the community that they're creating. I find that's really important. How did you find yourself involved with the Boston's Children Chorus? I was in college um, at Westminster Choir College. Shout out to people who still know where that place is. <laughs> um, and I was at an ACDA conference in Boston. Boston Children's Chorus was one of the featured choirs to perform. And I wanted to go check it out. So I went, it was just around the time of our, well, of their annual MLK concert, which we do every MLK day. And it honors Martin Luther King, his accomplishments. It's a big highlight for BCC. So I went and I sat like in the very front, don't know why. <laughs> and then I see this man step out with such a presence about him. This was when um, Dr. Anthony Tracy King was the artistic director. He's now at Handel and Hayden Society in Boston and also at the University of Hartford or the Hart School of Music as a director of choral activities. That was the first time I saw someone who looked like me at the podium. And that really struck with me. Someone who looked like me at the podium in a position, in a high, in a high artistic position. I was so blown away by that concert that I was like, whatever I, whatever ends up happening to me. And I already knew I was kind of swimming around community choral music in addition to teaching. It's like, if I end up in Boston, I want to end up here. Two years later, I'm applying to jobs and I happen to get one in Boston. And I was like, okay, all I need is to become a teaching fellow at Boston Children's Chorus. And I made it. And I... Bumped into another person who worked at Boston Children's Course again at another ACDA conference. My friend had dragged me downstairs and she's like, you need to come. Dr. Tracy King is there. Dr. TK is there. You need to come. I was like, I'm scared of that man. I don't want to go, <laughs> but I don't want to go. She's like, no, come on, let's go. Went, sat down, and we started having a roundtable discussion about children's choirs. The lens of which and different opinions on how they should be run and how they should evolve. And I guess I did really well in that conversation <laughs> because someone had tapped on my shoulder and said, hey, if you're ever in Boston again, come check us out and apply. And I was like, okay, like I'll send an email. 
then August came and uh, they were like, hey, we want you to come as a teaching fellow. Would you be up to do it? I was like, yes. So I already had that job in Boston, but Boston Children's Chorus was like that icing on the cake for me. So I felt like I was really coming into Boston gung ho and like ready to make some ready to make some change, ready to make some noise. I was hype. <laughs> so you mentioned prior the BCC's work with social justice and change in that way. How does the organization go about doing that? That's a really good question. I think that goes back into what BCC was started on. And this was started by someone who's not traditionally a musician at all. And what he wanted was for people, regardless of background, different neighborhoods to come together and be able to create and sing music and discuss these various topics. I think it's like, it's a buzzword now. So it's hard for us to think about it. Like, oh, how do you put social justice in there? It's like, how do you, you know, inject it in like you're adding Kool-Aid mix. And social justice to me is not being able to justify the constraints that we already have. So if we're kind of like divided and sectioned off by different neighborhoods, like being able to prove that that's wrong and being able to prove that these different communities of people can come together and make change and have these discussions without, you know, biting each other's heads off. It's kind of like saying like, you're wrong. These people can come together and do these things. Like we can actually put our minds together and and learn and move forward. And yeah, it's just to have understanding and compassion for others. That's what social justice is to me. So that doesn't come with, you know, a set lesson plan of we're going to talk about blah, 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 blah. I mean, those things are embedded, but that's not the intent. The intent of having these discussions is to open up and light a fire in the kids that we teach to rethink if they're thinking a certain way or even if they rethink and they're like, oh, actually, no, what I'm currently thinking is right. Or like, I I feel right with the way that I'm thinking right now. Flicking that fire in there to kind of be like, all right, are you sure about that? Amongst all these other discussions with other people. So it's more than just having pieces focused on these themes that you're saying, correct? We need to do more than that to bring these kind of ideas and thoughts to students. Right. If you are just starting a conversation and you're like, all right, let's talk about race today. I would just think, what are you doing? That's like, I don't know. It's just smacking someone in the face without any like development, any kind of like proceeding cue of like, hey, I'm going to smack you now. (laughs) Boom. Prepare them for that smack of information. And I think now that people are energized with the sense of trying to act on social justice and the need to, oh, we have to do something because all these things are happening. People are getting thrown in the face with it and it's not being built up. And I feel like when you're just throwing people in the face with this information and you're just kind of going like, wham, here it is, or wham, we're going to talk about this. People don't walk away learning anything or at least learning anything that can stick with you. So you got to develop that. And are there any closing insights you'd like to give listeners? Honestly, I think it's listen to your kids. I know it's really hard to want to listen to your kids because you're like, you're, I'm X amount of years older than you. I've lived all this life before you. Listen to your kids, man. <laughs> they will teach you what to and not to do sometimes from the mouths of babes, <laughs> literally. And if listeners wanted to reach out to contact you to talk about some of the themes we discussed today, how might they be able to do that? You can email me. So my email is dcooper, 
at bostonchildrenscourse.org. If you can't find that email address, I'm probably too spread out everywhere. I'm currently on the board for Massachusetts ACDA. So you can look us up through the board members there, my pictures there with my email there, or you can look up bostonchildrenscourse.org or my email is also listed. It's right under staff. Thank you so much for joining us today, Destiny. (laughs) Thank you. Music and talk.